support you engage in any type of emotion or behaviour, the greater your desire for it will become. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Before you get stuck in, there's a few things we want to mention. Remember that for many people, they're dealing with someone's alcohol misuse alone. Sharing the podcast could make all the difference to someone feeling connected or not. You won't always know who needs to hear it. Remember, we also run a closed Facebook group for those that want more individual support. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash daughters of alcoholics. On the 9th of February, Stacey Miller will be joining us talking about alcohol to use in education. What this lady doesn't know about drugs and alcohol isn't worth knowing. She delivers it in such a grounded and cool way, so get it in your diary. Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Two Roads Travelled podcast. It's not uncommon for alcoholics to also be addicted to other things. Why is that? Why do some people get addicted and others do not? Mindy Bartlett holds a doctorate in education and is the CEO of Essential Drug and Alcohol Services. She has over 20 years experience working in the field of addiction. In that time, she's gained insight into the different perspectives of drug and alcohol use and the levels of complexity for the individual user, their family and the community. Mindy teaches on accredited courses and is passionate about enabling people to make informed choices about their future. Paula and Joe used to work with Mindy when they had their first job in a hotel in a busy coastal resort. It's funny how they've all ended up in the same profession again. To get this conversation started, please welcome your hosts, Joe and Paula. Hiya. Hi, everyone. It's Joe here. Um, so today's episode, um, as we've explained in the introduction, is about addictive um, personality disorders and whether or not, um, whether it's a thing or not, we're going to go into a lot more detail. I spoke to Mindy recently and we started to have this conversation and I thought, let's just stop that. And I think this is definitely a topic for the podcast. So, um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Hiya, it's Paula. Um, very excited to have Mindy here today. We met many, many moons ago in the catering industry and um, it's quite amazing how we've both, or all of us, have ended up back in the um, addiction uh, services now. Um, so yeah, really excited to see what Mindy's got to say. So Mindy, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay, morning ladies. Uh, my name is uh, Mindy Bartlett. I'm the Chief Exec of EDAS, Essential Drug and Alcohol Services. So I manage a charity that supports young people and adults um, along all phases of addiction. And we also support loved ones and concerned others. So I've been working in addiction field for 22 years now. Well, that's some experience, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we started our conversation the other day about... Um, about addictive personality disorder and, and, and you had a very interesting view and opinion around it. So 
Can we like maybe start off with what's the concept of an addictive personality disorder? What is that? I think the concept of it, as you say, um, is greater than what it actually is. I think that people believe or are led to believe that there is such a thing as addictive personality disorder. Um, and that goes some way for some people to explain and make a rationale as to why they can't avoid being addicted to a substance, why they are... Um, in the firing line, if you like, to become addictive um, and can be used as an excuse for some individuals. For others, it can be something that they look at to say, well, if I've got this addictive personality, then I need to avoid anything that relates to that. Um, and actually, the whole thing for me in terms of all the research is that addictive personality disorder as a classification is a little bit of a myth. So what we should be looking at really is that are there certain personality traits or are there certain socioeconomical or sociocultural or psychological or physiological um, elements, if you like, to a person's life that makes them have a greater predisposition to addiction and therefore those individuals are at greater risk of addiction than others who are perhaps not exposed to that, whether that's genetic, biological, cultural psychological or physiological so so the actual concept of the having a personality disorder isn't in your opinion real or oh no 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 that people have personality disorders hmm. yeah um but addictive personality disorder is something that mm. personally I've not read enough research on mm. um, to prove to me that there is such a thing as addictive personality disorder. So what differentiates somebody that seems to be addicted to, if not drink or drugs, um, food or work or something, you know, they'll take whatever it is they do to an extreme. There's no balance. Okay. So whereas you'll have another set of people that you know can find that set that balance in their life so you wouldn't necessarily think they've got an addictive personality but I think that people I've spoken to they would say well if they're not addicted to this they'll be addicted to that it's you know it's there's always something so how how do you, is that what you're saying about depends on their biology and their environment and all those things uh, well, you have certain personality disorders, i.e. neuroticism, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, some of those um, what we might call classified personality disorders that may um, have a greater propensity to those um, who experience excitement and pleasure from a chemical or from a behaviour. And that might lead them to engage in that behavior more readily. It then changes the whole brain chemistry. Um, and therefore, addiction takes hold. Yeah. Um, other people may be modeling other people's behaviors. Uh, they may be modeling um, observations from parents, from peers, etc. And they've grown up thinking that's the norm. Um, and then there are other people who's own self-confidence, self-esteem, traumas in childhood, um, a whole host of adverse effects on their life. When they seek a pleasure, and when they get a pleasure either from shopping for shoes or for drinking a bottle of vodka, if that gives them a pleasure that takes away some of the adverse effects of the pain, whether that's subconscious pain or conscious pain that they're experiencing, 
um, then there's sort of like operant or classical conditioning that comes in and they make that synergy and that association. Mm -hmm. So if I'm um, stressed at work and then I go to the pub after work and I have a few drinks, I might sort of create this synergy that after work, number one, beer, number two, pub, number three, all go together to make my day at work a better experience. Mm -hmm. Now, if I continue to do that classical, classical conditioning where I'm pairing an environment to a behavior, then that makes that become normative, mm -hmm. and my brain will then adjust to that normati more normative behavior mm -hmm. as being completely okay. Mm -hmm. um, once you start to upset brain activity, uh, particularly around the reward center, then you really are heading for... Um, a compulsive behavior that is only going to get excited by giving me more of that chemical in, in, in the instance of uh, drugs or alcohol. So I still have this question in my mind is that what stops, so what if there's a person that goes, goes you know, stressful day at work, like you say, goes to the pub, has the beer and whatever, but they... They, and they might do that every now and again, but it's not something that they would do on a regular basis or that maybe they're not making that connection like you've just said. Yep. So so those type of people probably wouldn't develop an addiction to m most things, maybe. Well, they certainly wouldn't ad um, develop an addiction to alcohol if the alcohol wasn't giving them the pleasure mm. um, that they are wanting to receive um, with that synergy of the other environment yeah. or the socio-cultural or the biological input if you like of the brain um, and the way in which they process information and, and become excited um, so for instance you'll get floaters and chippers so you know um, you'll have people um, who could have one cigarette every three months and that might be just if they're at a party or they you know someone's offering a fag but you'll get other people who will want to smoke 20, 30 a day. Yeah, you'll get somebody now buys a tin of um, branded tins of chocolate that are out this time <laughs> of year, um, and, and they can put it in their cupboard and they can store it till, till Christmas Day, and you'll get other people that from now till Christmas will go through eight to 10 tins of those lovely chocolates. Um, and it's about what that association is and what the triggers are as to why you know you, you feel that you need more of that particular substance, more of that behavior going into your system. So then what would, then that begs the question, what would then make, why is it that then some people need that and some people don't? Because I know plenty of people that don't on the surface appear to have any addiction, like or, and it's certainly maybe not unhealthy addictions to anything. So I wonder what differentiates then one from the other because well, we all want have some excitement or whatever but not to the point where we need to repetitively do it all the time because for, for many individuals who don't become obsessed or addicted to one particular activity substance mm. behavior etc um, then there are probably many activities and um, levels of self-esteem self-confidence um, lots of bigger picture things that um, are more important, if you like, or place greater value on than um, the issue, if you like, that is there for many other people in terms of whether that's the alcohol, the drugs, mm. the, the shopping, the gambling, mm. um, that um, their 
outside, if you like, uh, of the human body existence, there's so much more going on for them that is um, a greater value to lose mm. than becoming, if you're not, not becoming, but mm. um, increasing their chances of becoming addicted with something else. And I think sometimes the um, idealistic way that people look at life by what's being advertised, what you see on TV, what you hear on the radio, what you see on social media, um, it paints a picture of how they think that it actually should be. And, uh, and so that's what they strive for as well. You know, it, everything has to be like that because it's Valentine's, it's Christmas, it's your birthday, you know, everything has to have this perfect image and yeah. people can get drawn into that quite a lot, can't they? They can. I mean, uh, so what you're talking about there, perhaps, Paula, is number one is the advertising of this ideal world mm -hmm. that um, sells products. Um, you wouldn't... Um, you know, you wouldn't have an advert for, um, you know, a, a Christmas liqueur with people roaring about um, on the streets <laughs> and, and vomiting in a drain. Um, you'd have some, you know, wonderful family um, environment and the turkey on the table and a lovely, you know, um, open fire roaring in the background. And you think, oh, this really complements Christmas, this alcohol. Yeah. But actually, we know that alcohol destroys an awful lot of Christmases for many people. Yeah. Um, and so you're buying into that. You're quite right. You're buying into this advertised image that this is the way that I want my life to be. Um, but actually, the, the levels of your life journey so far just really don't match any way that you could even sort of make that a reality with or without the vodka or with or without the um you know the liqueur on christmas day um and so there are there are people's own self-confidence levels there are people's expectations i mean we're our biggest worst enemies in the amount of expectation that we put upon others you know we want our children to be x y and z um and as parents we we might put uh, apply a lot of expectations and, and apply a lot of pressures to make that happen if your child is an academic and they're more vocational, then, you know, trying to strive them through to an academic career and a whole passport of certificates at, uh, at, you know, at degree level is just not going to happen. So they're always fighting expectations from ourselves and from others. Um, as an employer, I just need to be mindful that I don't put too great expectations on my staff team because stress is one of the great, you know, um, prevalences when we talk about why people become addicted um, but also I think you need to be mindful and, and really if, if we're going to have this concept of addictive personality disorder we we really need to understand how people's brain and the wiring of the brain and the whole release of, of the chemical workhorses in the brain take over whether that's where we're addicted to to alcohol whether it's we feel that we're addicted to shopping whether it's a chocolate bar whatever it is about how ignited our brain chemistry becomes and just how hijacked our brain chemistry becomes is yeah. is absolutely that, that's a the best word it does get hijacked because um within um addiction if you're thinking of um alcohol and drugs um it's it is it's all or nothing and there are no half measures you stop when you collapse you stop when you're hospitalized um and then you probably carry on again Absolutely. um there is it is all or nothing and that's it well our basic mode of survival is four main things it's food and drink so food and, and water sex and nurturing of the young if we didn't get excited if you like and release dopamine from engaging in those activities we'd die if we didn't eat or drink we'd die if we didn't have sex and then look after the young that we create 
there'd be no future existence. So ha whatever our belief is about how we've evolved to, to, to you know, 2020 coming up, um, we've evolved with this innate um, ability to receive pleasure from these four main principles. Now, we're not all 40 stone rabbits and have sex every day and, and <laughs> eat till we pop. Um, so there's lots of other things that we do that give us a sense of pleasure, yeah? But these, when we engage in these behaviors, we release dopamine, we release serotonin, our adrenaline is going around our system. When that becomes normative, um, then you, you um, w when it becomes changed, should I say, by introducing artificial chemicals such as alcohol, opiates, nicotine, amphetamine, um, these will all change the brain chemistry. They would change the release of dopamine to such a level that you think, wow, bloody hell. Oh, uh, wow, really nice. <laughs> okay. That's um, all right. <laughs> and um, you think, well, why am I engaging these other things? But for some individuals, they may not even have got enjoyment from those four natural mm. rewards. So, you know, if if you're not socialized into a family, perhaps where there is good nurturing, where perhaps there is, um, you know, inadequate poverty, you know, where there isn't great role models and socialization, where the nurturing isn't there. Not saying that's in every instance, because we have uh, families or individuals from a whole range of uh, backgrounds where there hasn't been all that input. You know, everybody is, you know, you think, well, why is this? Apart from roses around the, the doorway, their life is magnificent, yet they still um, pick up a drink and, and carry on to the point where, you know, they're drinking to oblivion each and every day. So, um, but certainly once you start to change that brain chemistry, nothing else, doesn't matter what you do, will take a priority, yeah. nothing. I suppose it's a bit like, because um, you don't sort of turn into an alcoholic or a drug addict overnight, it takes time mm -hmm. um, for that addiction to actually take hold of you. Yeah. And I suppose it's, it's exactly the same in the reverse. So um, it is retraining. And, uh, you know, we often advise our clients that, you know, be, be aware of these other addictions that can come into your life, yeah. you know. And then so we start teaching them to be more self-aware, you know, watching their actions, their thoughts, you know, listen to themselves a little bit more. Because, um, again, it can pick up in, in, a, in a different way. Which is why we look at that, like what we, we look at in, in treatment providers is we would look to deliver like a biopsychosocial delivery of treatment. So you look at the bio. So when you take the drug away, how the brain chemistry, how the biology of the body will change. You need to deal with that. Maybe that's dealing with that through an opiate substitute drug. Maybe it's through a camprosate. Maybe it's through, you know, a, a an alcohol uh, withdrawal chemical, if you like, where you're substituting alcohol for a another medicated product to keep those adrenaline uh, levels, which will shoot around the body at a rate of knots when you withdraw from alcohol, because uh, alcohol obviously affects every living tissue mm. in the body, um, and there is a high risk of death from alcohol mm. um, withdrawal straight away so you need to medicate that over a period of time so you look after the bio bit with medication if it's a true addiction um, if a physical addiction you look after the the psycho bit if you like the psychology bit mm. with the talking therapies with the um, cognitive behavioral therapies mm. with the DBTs with the um, sort of one-to-one -one and group therapies that we deliver and then you look after the social bit by building 
peer support by building a network of individuals around you and and us as treatment providers we're responsible for putting the scaffolding around an yeah. individual if you break your leg mm. yeah the the um when you go to the hospital the hospital will put a plaster cast around that broken bone and the bone needs to heal mm. itself they can put as many screws and all of that in but they can't mm. actually physically make those two mm. parts of the bone joined together without nature taking its course and without time but they put the, the plaster around it to, to enable it to, to remain in a, an environment that is conducive mm. to that happening and that's what we do in treatment we put a plaster cast if you like we put a scaffold around the individual that creates an environment that is conducive for that change to happen mm. um, without that many people will struggle mm. and they'll get to a point where they think well I can do this on my own now we've mm. all been there whether it's you know trying to lose weight or whether it's trying to stop doing some sort of behavior mm. etc think well yeah I've got yeah. this far I do it on my own isn't yeah, absolutely it? yeah and and you know but um, you know it's it like you say Paula it didn't happen overnight it's not going to reverse itself overnight but you know just as you might some people might think that addiction is based around like a social learning theory if we've learned that behavior then we can unlearn it but we'll always know it but we can unlearn the way that we apply it so then what stops um or how do we manage and help people to manage future you know addiction so it doesn't transfer because you're talking about you know you know some people are not getting that high they're not getting that excitement they're not getting those things from those four things you mentioned so how how do we then you know facilitate that so that then another addiction doesn't form which okay. often is the case because in yeah. addiction we know that people often move from alcohol to sugar yeah. and so on so how does that part okay, work so it, if you want to really uh, try to reduce the risk of people becoming addictive to addicted to so for this podcast uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol then we really need to go right right back to early childhood mm. um, and we need to start to look at the different personality traits yeah that young children are displaying and we need to make sure that we're putting um, some form of respect into those uh, personality traits so for instance we know that when we take um, cocaine away from a cocaine um, addicted individual uh, what we see is rather a sort of insecure shy introvert individual who then by using the cocaine becomes this rather mm. gregarious mm. you know highly active individual yeah. if we can identify those traits in early childhood then we can put plans in place to draw out that introvertness um, it doesn't mean to say that being introvert is wrong no. but we can build up assertiveness skills we can build up social skills we can make people feel more confident in social situations mm. without having to do a line of snow mm. that makes them become you know the the king of the party or the queen mm. of the party if we look at the way that people use depressant drugs for instance alcohol um, then we often find that uh, when we take the alcohol away we find people who are are quite analytical quite indecisive um, they're not really sure where they are on um, the scale in terms of, of making a final decision about stuff when then you put alcohol into their system they go oh, yeah well I saw it yeah let's just do that um, and so um, what we need to do is we need to try and identify those traits in, in young people as well um, and work a plan similarly with with hallucinogens like cannabis 
um, we take cannabis away, what you find is this sort of timid, creative individual that just doesn't have any self-confidence to follow their dreams and, and be a little bit different. Um, we, we may have children at school and they bring them home their homework and there's spaces they've got to fill in with the words or there's you know only one right answer um, that's going to get them the score. Well, you know, we're having this conversation today. We know that there isn't one right mm. perspective, one right answer. Mm. We should be getting young people to create their own stories, develop creative writing, develop, mm. you know, drama, more drama, more music um, in schools um, so that people can apply that um, mm. through the arts mm. and feel confident about that. And then with opiates, we know that probably 90, 95% of opiate users have experienced some form of abuse whether that's physical sexual or um, financial or uh, psychological abuse um, and so we really need to look at how we are working with social care about identifying this much earlier on um, and you know trying to work with those adverse childhood experiences doesn't mean to say that 95 percent of people who are abused are going to go and use heroin mm. but we know there's a high proportion of people that have experienced abuse you know mm. Uh, our, mm. our heroin users um, so if we can identify those traits and those behaviours in very early childhood mm. and put things in play mm. then we run the risk or, or run the chance should I say of reducing um, some individuals becoming addictive we're never yeah. going to eradicate no. it all so uh, we need to be doing that now don't we, all, we? You know, we, we all need some element of pleasure some something that takes us to a higher point than you know um our usual things in life um mm. but hopefully we have enough social financial um you know, capital if you like uh within us that don't doesn't allow us to need to constantly exceed that mm. um excitement because we've got too much here um, that we don't want to lose. So that sort of leads into, because you've raised so many things, I've got questions going around <laughs> in my head like mad. Um, if we go back to the point you said about the people that may not develop these addictions, is it because, if I understood right, you're saying because they have greater value in other areas, like you were talking about um, self-esteem and confidence and various things like that. So um, is it that these you know, people that do tend to get addicted to one thing and then potentially another they don't have other things they value great enough you know that's more important than what they would get from or what they'd escape from using or drinking well for some individuals that may be the case yeah um other individuals may have come across it via default so once you start to um you know that there's cultural bits mm. there's psychological bits so that would be where the esteem and the yeah. uh, confidence levels are. There's cultural bits in terms of this is the culture that I've been brought up in. Everybody does this. Mm. yeah. So you're following that model in that behavior. Um, and then there's the bio bit. There's the, mm. you know, some for some individuals, um, dopamine levels are, are, are greater exposed. Mm. Some individuals, we have um, uh, more or less opiate receptors in the brain. Um, the mu, the kappa, the delta receptors um, that interfere with the way in which we then digest, if you mm. like, or process um, heroin will affect us all differently. So um, if these are your nuggets, if you like, for, for individuals that, that feed so many things that you didn't realize were missing or exceed the excitement that you get from everyday 
behaviors mm. that you still thought were exciting mm. um, until you discovered this mm. then you know uh, that's the sort of the 64 million dollar question is to well why does it work for some and not for others mm. we can't look inside our bodies and we can't mm. look inside our mm. brain and we can't look inside our spinal cord etc where <laughs> a lot of these receptors are um and say right okay so joe if you use that boof mm. you're, you're a goner or mm. mindy if i mm. if i do this then you know uh, yeah. then that's that's going to be you forever um we take it's russian roulette for, for many people and you know that's why i think if we come back to the original ke- question about the concept of addictive personality if you truly believe from the onset that you have an addictive personality mm. then what what hope have you got to not have one mm. yeah if you then you just lie it all on oh well it's because i've got this such addictive you, personality blimey, you could that's a massive you could open that up to any possible diagnosis that you get though you yeah. could say oh you know i've been told i've got this so then you basically live your life according live to that diagnosis yeah i mean when when you badge somebody with mm. something mm. then there's two options you can either try to unbadge it yourself because you don't want to wear that label mm. or you can quite proudly mm. wear that label or in actual fact there's third mm. the third option is that you can try and manage that label mm. yeah um so i mean we're all going to get excited by stuff mm. it's all going to be different to to what we get excited about all of our levels of excitement and our thrill and our pleasure seeking not really exciting it's the pleasure seeking dopamine is responsible for giving us a sense of pleasure serotonin is responsible for giving us a sense of calmness and stability adrenaline is responsible for giving us that mm-hmm. fight or flight mm-hmm. or freeze mm-hmm. um so we've all got varying we're all like little chemical factories we've all got varying amounts of this and depending on our biology we'll we'll expose more and and retain more or um, decrease levels of it accordingly but we have very little control over mm-hmm. that so when you put an artificial substance in then you really it's potluck as to how it's going to affect you mm-hmm. but some people don't get badged with addictive personality do they like i don't think we would have said early on that say paula had an addictive personality however you know certain things throughout her life have dictated that she tends to you know like she said earlier it's all or nothing you Mm -hmm. know it's whether it's food whether it's drinking whether it's smoking whether it whatever it is um i would probably say that i've had different addictions in different areas whether that's working too much or Mm -hmm. therapy Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. you know i control you could say isn't you know a a need to to do that it's very different but we wouldn't have labeled each other as having an addictive personality but it's still been present in in our lives well everyone's got personality (laughs) yeah (laughs) everyone's got a personality about how you manage that personality i think you get uh, there's a risk of getting confused with people not having a personality and people having um being badged if you like with an addictive personality mm-hmm. if you had an addictive personality my belief would be that you'd just becoming addicted to everything and yeah. it almost gives you a red light absolutely it? or, green, or light. green light green light yeah green light's yeah. better light. <laughs> it, it does it it gives light. them justification it gives them the go ahead um because they can use that badge but i did like the way that you said about um 
you know you can either you know be there with your badge you can take your badge away um but what i try to encourage um when that when people are ready in their um recovery journey um is to um not be ashamed of it because we carry so much shame and guilt and remorse about our behaviors and Mm -hmm. what we put close families and friends that you know that that will last a lifetime um but it, it took me a good couple of years to be able and I I was able to do this by meeting an a fellow alcoholic who um who taught me to embrace it and as I embraced it I the shame left me mm-hmm. and I was actually um able to like tell people you know inform people and by doing this you're educating people you know if I'm quite open and honest that yeah, yes I'm an, I'm a recovering alcoholic mm-hmm. um ask me anything you want Mm -hmm. and um it's putting it out there and Mm -hmm. it's like I didn't it's again it's not not something that I chose it's something that happened and um you know if I can make people more aware and less embarrassed to say oh I used to be a drug addict oh I'm an alcoholic do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. then then that helps other people understand more that you're not just a bum you're not just a you know whatever description they'd like to give you mm. because again like you said it covers all walks of life it doesn't matter if you've had a good childhood a bad childhood mm. do you know what I mean it's it, it's a lot of the time it's down to some form of trauma but you know if you can be almost loud and proud about it without your ego overtaking um it's educational to people and you know they might have a change of heart on the way that they view someone the next time that they see someone off their head or you know sitting on the floor in the sitting on the pavement or something like that absolutely i mean there is no there should be no shame about being in recovery from alcohol being in recovery from drugs being in recovery from gambling whatever your addiction was that led you to the point where you feel now that you just need to stop because you're just completely ruining ruining everything for yourself and others around you. You've come to that realization, and that realization point can be at different, you know, so many different bus stops for so many people. You just don't know when that realization point is going to be. Um, but for those who are in recovery from that particular behavior or um, substance, um, have got to one of those bus stops and realized. I need to get off this bus now because it's killing me and it's killing others around me. So there's absolutely no shame in that. People shouldn't um, have any It takes shame a lot of guts. It takes a huge amount of guts. And that's what I try to um, embrace the, my clients with. You know, you walk through that door on your own into a room of people you never knew. How gutsy is that? You know, it's something to build on. It's the, the, the guts is one thing. The thing that um, I think, in, in my experience of working with, with people with addiction, the thing that um, stops them uh, from coming through that door is the fear. Yeah. Not fear of what people are going to judge me, but fear of letting go of that drink or drug. Mm. That has been their best friend. It's been their, their killer friend, if you like, but it's been their best friend. It's the one that's stuck by them each and every day yep. whether that be in liquid form powder form tablet form whatever it's stuck by them each and every day it's the one that they've gone out and sought solace with 
each and every day of their lives um and it's the one that they feel understands them it's the, you yeah. know all of this metaphoric language uh, and they go through an element of grief with yeah. that as yeah. well and and they would have also experienced withdrawals mm. and when you when you develop a true if you like addiction physiological addiction to alcohol uh, or, or opiates um, then individuals will experience a real a very very real biological withdrawal which for many people the the initiation if you like of using the drink or drugs was helping them to as a coping mechanism for all the social or, or psychological or biological stuff that was going on in their life and and oftentimes a blend of all those three things um, they would have experienced times when they they couldn't get access to the drugs or the alcohol and they would have had some real biological withdrawals um, as well as psychological um, experiences with that and so once the drug or the drug use starts to take over um, and pharmaceutically takes over the brain then people carry on taking the drug or the alcohol not to make themselves feel good or to go into a social situation but to stop the withdrawals from coming on nobody wants to experience withdrawals from no. alcohol it's horrendous it is from, from opiates it's horrendous so you carry on taking the drug because you don't want to suffer the withdrawal so the, the, the primary reason why people started using the drink or drugs, that's gone, that's history. Yeah. Nobody even remembers. No. If you speak to people, well, why do you think you, you started using drink or drugs? Well, I can't really remember. Why are you stopping? Why do you want a script? It's because I don't want these withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. You know, so there's been this rainbow of, of uh, change um, that has happened. And so the biggest thing I think that stops people coming forward for treatment, A, might be, yes, I need to face other people and do something about this but b is the fear of what's going how am i going to cope with without this chemical going into my body yeah i know that when i've spoken to families and had conversations and stuff and you know there's that whole thing about choice where they chose to drink and da da da, da. well yeah maybe initially when they picked up that drink when they very yeah. first started 20 years ago um but like you say and i've said this myself like number of times that you know the reasons that people start to drink in the first place are for a moment period of time beyond that as you say once you're physically dependent mm. it's got nothing to do about wanting to feel confident and things like that yeah. you just need it to survive yeah, you know yeah. so your body isn't going to react in the way that you can't cope with you know the whole withdrawal as you mentioned so I think that that perception around um you know the choice thing and and the initial reasons is no longer relevant no it's not it's not but then when you work the biopsychosocial model in treatment you revisit those um psycho and social elements mm. of, of yeah, life of course um and you revisit the bio with by putting a, if you like another artificial mm. drug in but there, that's methadone or subutex or a acamprosate or librium or whatever you know you put in a you're changing that chemical mm. in a more medicated way in a um, prescribed way so that it can be monitored by your doctor or mm. whoever is doing the prescribing and you can then have a sort of titration withdrawal from that um, in a safe Mm. in a safe way mm. going back to the plaster cast you know you're creating yeah. a safe environment for that person to heal um, in all elements of their life mm. and so then going forward for people that I think we've sort of touched on this already in terms of tools and how people can help themselves so then as to not then 
move from one thing they're addicted to to another would you say that ultimately it, it is about kind of going deeper into the reasons or not what do you think are the I think uh, you know as you get into adulthood and and you know um I mean it'd be great if we had the hindsight to to say I wish I'd have got help sooner mm. you know and so that's that that very often is a confidence thing mm. so the physical addiction hasn't kicked in as yet um or you're on the cusp of it but um you know that's at the point where you think actually I need to 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 get help with this for for anyone in terms of my advice would be once that drug or that alcohol starts costing you more than money seek help Mm -hmm. once it starts costing you your relationships your marriage your schooling your um finances your Mm self-esteem your social presence your um ideas about life the way in which people respect you or not once it starts costing you that seek help because Mm. once it then goes past that basically Mm. your brain's going to become hijacked and you're not going to give two Mm. hoots about what people feel about Mm. you because then it's just the brain Mm. needing that for survival Mm. we've all had jobs perhaps where we've earned the best wage we ever Mm. have have earned and we think brilliant gosh i'll be able to save 100 pounds a month and i'll take the kids to disney this time next year and i'll i'll do this and i'll pay off my visa and i'll do all these wonderful things with this increased income six months after opening that same um pay slip now you think blimey i can't live on this i did expect you you adjust Mm. you psychologically adjust just you biologically adjust you culturally adjust to this and you think I mean, I can't live on this. However, six months ago, I was so excited to get this Mm. um, increase. Um, And that's just what happens over time. Like you say, Paula, it doesn't happen overnight. But um, in terms of the addiction, it takes time to build up. That's because you would have adjusted your lifestyle, regulated your brain to receive this, changed your social network of individuals. That takes time to do before it gets to Mm. a point where actually Mm. it then the drug, if you like, or the alcohol consumes you as opposed to you consuming that drug, mm. then really you're on a real slippery slope mm. for, for many years, but you won't want to acknowledge that. You'll still feel that you're in control of mm. it. You still feel that you're having a, mm. a great time with it until you get to that bus that bus stop, if you like. That is the realisation point that, oh, blimey, no. Mm. This mm. is really where I need to stop. And for many people, that would be hospitalisation over and over again Mm. for many women you might think well that's when you become pregnant but it doesn't stop Mm. for you know it's Mm. it's whatever people's lowest point is is Mm. is beyond anybody's understanding for many people so in terms of how they can so let's assume somebody you know has has managed to get themselves off of alcohol through detox or whatever the method is um what would you say is the best advice you've got around how they can I don't know if the right word is get balance in their life but to like I say to not then develop a different addiction Addiction. which ultimately is you know covering up maybe something else going on well the the best advice would be you know if you feel that you have got an addictive personality (laughs) (laughs) which i still argue that uh, is non-existent um but uh, if you still feel that you need to seek a certain amount of pleasure from things that your everyday life is not offering you then seek a healthier Mm. um thing so you know gyms Mm. activity you know become addicted to 
being with other people, socializing with mm. other people, mm. you know, take something out of your your initial comfort zone and and become excited and challenge yourself about mm. that. Um, certainly don't go back to alcohol because once that Roman road is laid in your brain, um, then it, uh, it really only takes one or two drinks to open that back up again. Mm. You know, you can put all the tarmac you want over that Roman road. If you've already made that inroad in your brain in terms of changing the brain chemistry um, and the brain receiving a greater sense of pleasure from that particular reward than any other reward, then, boof, you might as well get a dramatic drill and go straight to that Roman road again because mm. it's always going to be there. Mm. Um, so people will want to test it out. Mm. Or maybe just one, <laughs> two, or just just if I'm at a party, I'm only going to do it once. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's not. And it hits happen. you harder and faster every time. Yeah, yes, absolutely. With more consequences. Yeah, yeah. You and often I think those. that that's the the mentality sometimes of people that have struggled with a, uh, an alcohol problem is that they think they know best, and they think that just this time, oh, I'll be fine this time, and then before they know it, they're back in that again. Well, I, I don't think it's just people with an alcohol problem. I think people in general think that they know best, whether it's, you know... Yeah, I know best. <laughs> whether, whether, <laughs> you know, whether it, that's just, you know, the way in which we've 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 um, grown up to be independent, you know, yeah. from, from basically from the day that we were born. Uh, you know, all our parents want is to, for us to be independent individuals making our own choices. And then, you know, so when we say... No, don't think like that. You go, hold on a minute. Oh, you've raised <laughs> me to, to have my own thoughts and, and this, that, and the other. So we all think we know best, whatever situation it is. Um, what we need to do is to be humble enough to learn from others. Yeah. And so in terms of, of what you were saying there, Paula, about um, sharing your story and um, allowing um, people to um, learn, hopefully, yeah. and share your experience with you and take something from that, even if they took one tenth of what you've experienced yeah. and applied it in terms of their own recovery then they're a tenth better off yeah um they'll do it in their own unique way of course yeah um and and that's that's per, uh, perfectly um permissible of course um but 95 percent of the other effort needs to come from them mm-hmm. absolutely well, we've come to the end of the podcast there. So, oh my God, I've got so many questions. <laughs> no time. I'm sure we'll have you back again at some point Thank if you'd you. love to join. And um, I think that would be, you know, there's much to discover and talk about, I think. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been brilliant. Yeah, thank you, Mindy. It's been lovely. And um, I've got a few ideas myself now to take back to work, actually. <laughs> But no, it's just, you know, thinking about more about that chemical imbalance and, you know, how the brain is so powerful and, you know, it just, it's another angle to come at. It is another angle. It's not the only one. So, yeah. you know, the, the the neurobiology aspect is is really, really important for clients to understand, yeah. in my experience. If you can explain that to clients in a really easily understandable way mm-hmm. um, and then match that with the with the psycho and the cultural elements, then... You know, you've got a, a really good recipe yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you leave one of those bits out, then you mm-hmm. haven't. And, and oftentimes people are scared to, le- to leave, or they're not scared to leave it out, but they're a bit naive about the whole biological bit, so they just don't really mention mm-hmm. it. But actually it's absolutely pivotal. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying yeah. it's the only one, but it's the triangulation mm-hmm. effect. Yeah, and without something I've really learned fully today. understanding that, um, that, that point of the triangle in terms of the biology, then um, the rest is you will keep testing it. Perfect. Well, thank you again. And um, yeah, tune back in to our next episode, which will be in 
two weeks' time.